Um, the first thing I want to say on the podcast is an apology to anyone who was expecting to um, listen to this podcast earlier this month. I did promise it on my social media um, a couple of times this month, um, so apologize for not getting that um, out there. Um, it's been a difficult few weeks, um, and yeah, just haven't been in the kind of right space to be uh, recording a podcast. But um, yeah, feeling, um, feeling much more up to it now. So, uh, so yeah, here it is, and uh, yeah, looking forward to to recording it and uh, and putting it out there for everybody. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Before I get into the film, I just want to say a big thank you to anyone who's followed me on various social media platforms um, and listens to me on whatever podcast platform that they listen to podcasts on. Um, every kind of listen, every kind of follow, every kind of like or anything like that is really, really um, greatly appreciated. Um, just to, to let you all know, uh, on Facebook and Instagram and Good Pods, um, you can find me at These Films Are The Juice. On Twitter, it's at Films Are The Juice. Um, the podcast platforms that um, you can listen to this podcast on are Apple Podcast. If anyone is happy to leave a review on there, um, it would be really helpful. Really helps kind of put the put the podcast kind of further up the lists. Um, you can also listen to it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Castbox, and Anchor as well. Um, so yeah, whichever platform you decide to listen it to it on, um, whichever social media uh, platform you're able to follow me on, um, it's all really helpful and really greatly appreciated. So thank you very much. All right, Ramblers, let's get rambling. My name is Steve, and thank you for listening. So this is only the fourth episode of, for me, these films are the juice, but already it's my second Edgar Wright film. On the 4th of November, uh, I watched Last Night in Soho at the cinema. And just to say, if anyone still gets the chance to watch it at the cinema, please do. Um, It's absolutely amazing, really worthwhile watching at the cinema. Um, But when it comes out on streaming, definitely watch it there. It's a fantastic film. After watching that film, uh, I listened to the soundtrack and thought of nothing else for four or five days afterwards. Um, Really, really great film. And one of the biggest things from it was understanding, re-understanding or re-appreciating how good a filmmaker Edgar Wright is. Um, He's real, you can tell he's a real kind of student of making films. Um, There were... Uh, homages to various different filmmakers, various different types of films within it, but it's also got a completely unique style all of his own that he brings to all the films that he makes. Um, so again, I thought not, not much else afterwards, and I just really wanted to do another Edgar Wright film. So I'm going to do this podcast on Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Uh, it was a film that meant a lot to me when it first came out. It's a film that I've watched 10, 12, 13 times since it came out and I just absolutely love it and I think it's a really, really, it's, a, it's got this great cult following but I think it still should be seen and appreciated by a lot more people. So, it's got Pilgrim vs. the World. Let's do it. I think on the introduction episode that I did, I said that um, the podcast would would kind of develop and change and obviously I'd find the best way to um, to kind of talk about films and everything. Um, and I've kind of found with my first three, I've really enjoyed doing them and I've had some, some good positive feedback, but just, I do just kind of feel they have been a little bit longer than I hoped they would be. And maybe a little bit too detailed on, uh, on the film and the breakdown kind of going scene by scene. Um, 
and it's kind of not what I wanted it to be really it's kind of just what I fell into with it so I think I'm gonna <clears throat> starting with this one I'm gonna try and mix it up a little bit um, as to how I talk about the films so I want to try and add in a bit more um, of a personal take on on the films whether that be how I came to the films or how I um, how they influenced me or or kind of just how they intrigued me or where they've stayed in um, in my mind for so long or kind of my takes on certain certain scenes or, or certain things or um, maybe if it was to be remade kind of who would be maybe best placed or who I'd like to see best placed in it nowadays um, so just a few more kind of personal takes I think on on the films and not so much of a detailed breakdown of them though I will definitely still go into certain scenes and um, certain parts of, of films but yeah I just want to kind of change slightly the way in which I, I kind of talk about them um, so yeah Scott Pilgrim versus the world now the reason I wanted to do this um, as I kind of mentioned in the introduction was uh, because yeah I absolutely love Last Night in Soho and just one more time please recommend absolutely anyone to, to see it. it's really really good um, <clears throat> and also because Scott Pilgrim versus the world it's a, you know it's a it's a real cult film it's got a real real strong cult following which is great um but even to this day and from the time it came out it was just so um so not widely seen by people or not widely known about and it's maybe slightly um Edgar Wright's slightly forgotten about film as well and um in a lot of ways it's you know it's a lot of people's favorites of his um it's maybe his, some might say it's his best film um, that he's actually made. I don't know what my opinion is on that, but it's certainly one that means a lot to me. And I have a lot of personal, um, yeah, kind of like a personal connection with it, definitely. Um, so, yeah, it's just, again, on this podcast, something I wanted to do was pick out some films that, that I really like that maybe aren't as well um, either well received or haven't watched as much or talked about as much. Um, so that was another big thing I wanted to I wanted to do on this podcast as well. The film was released in the UK in August two thousand ten, um, but it was it was very heavily um, advertised and discussed in things like Empire Magazine and Empire Online, and there was uh, a lot of blogs that were released um, by Edgar Wright during the making of the film as well. Um, Obviously, you had to kind of seek those things out, and I was a monthly subscriber to Empire Magazine. I looked at the website every day, so I was able to keep track of, find out about it, and keep track of it quite quite regularly. Um, so this was kind of back in kind of, you know, mid to late two thousand nine. Um, that I started kind of learning about the film, learning about um the the com the comic books, and the um and the graphic novels as well. Um, and it was just being a massive Edgar Wright fan already, as I, as I mentioned on the um, on the Shaun of the Dead podcast. It was just something that I, uh, yeah, just really kind of intrigued me straight away, really. Um, so I, I started to kind of look into it a little bit more. Um, I was kind of, I was 23 when the film was being made, 24 when it came out. Um, so yeah, you're kind of at that time in your life where, you know, well, for me, I was um, 
I was kind of working. I was uh, living away from my folks for the, kind of the first time and everything. I had a little bit of little bit of money and a little bit of disposable income. Uh, not too many responsibilities. So, so yeah, I just kind of went and bought all of the um, all of the all of the books, uh, all of the comic books, and just thought, right, this is something I really want to kind of um, enjoy and and kind of. So I started kind of following it on purpose, really. I think I I was kind of at that time in my life, maybe where I was kind of just reaching out for things to really connect to and really kind of throw myself into. So, um, like I'm doing right now with, with podcasting really. Um, so, so yeah, so I ordered all of the books and, um, I read all of them up to, um, up to when the film came out. Um, I bought the, the soundtrack to the film, uh, before the film came out as well, listened to that nonstop, um, in my, in my old, uh, in my old green Peugeot 306, uh, the CD player. Um, so I listened to that a lot. Um, the soundtrack to this, to this film is that is absolutely amazing. It's got kind of Rolling Stones, Beck, lots of, um, kind of American indie bands as well. And, um, and a lot of songs that were made for the, for the film as well. No Pixies though, unfortunately, you know, they are referenced in the film. I love the Pixies. Um, and yeah, I suppose it, it just kind of was one of those ones that, I just thought, right, yeah, I found this. This is something I really want to um, kind of, yeah, get my teeth into and become one of those really annoying people that's like, oh, you really have to watch, oh, God, you have to watch this film. You have to watch this film. Everyone you see, go and watch this film. If you watched it, yeah, what did you think? Um, so, yeah, I remember my, uh, I was able to change, I was able to do a, a Facebook avatar uh, to kind of how the, uh, the, the, the characters look in the comic book. So I put that up on, on Facebook as well. I was just constantly, you know, kind of posting things about it on Facebook as well and telling people to go and see it, just really annoying people about it. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, finally it came out in um, in August 2010. And, um, you know, even though I'd kind of, you know, been following it really closely and maybe had quite high expectations for it, I, I kind of went in a bit apprehensively thinking, oh, what's it going to be like? And I kind of already had an idea that it wasn't going to be a big hit just from just from the kind of the trailers and what I'd kind of read about what the film was like you know it's a bit of a it's a bit of a hard sell for for people which is you know which I'm sure is why it's gonna you know kind of become a cult because it's not it's not got that kind of mass appeal thing because you know it's a it's a mixture of a, a comic book adaptation computer game influenced it's romance in there there's comedy there's action it's a slacker comedy um you know, it's based on not very well-known kind of source material and characters. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of things in there that are going for it. Those are those are positive things, I think. It's a real mix-up of a film in that way. But in a way, it's kind of, it's it's uh, the reason why some people don't, don't go to see it as well, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, when it came out, I, I went to see it as soon as I could. I saw it twice in the cinema. Saw it with a friend of mine and saw it with my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, as well. And um, just kind of maybe about a year and a half before that, I'd, I'd been in America studying for a little while. And um, a lot of the, some of the friends that I'd, I'd made who are friends, who are still friends with on Facebook over in, um, over in America, messaged me to say, oh, I've, you know, because it came out a week before in America. They were like, oh, I've been to see it. It's really good. Or I've been to see it and it's not that great. <laughs> so I had three or four messages like that from people too. So, um, yeah, a bit of a mixed bag, but I absolutely loved it. Um, 
I thought it was um, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was for Edgar Wright's first film outside of you know working with Nick Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and um, and outside of the UK you know completely based in in Canada. You know I I just thought it was um, I just thought it was great. He really kind of threw everything at this one. Um, so yeah, I I absolutely loved it and really really enjoyed it. And as I say, I've gone on to <clears throat> own it on different um, different platforms as well. I had the Blu-ray, had the DVD, um, watched it on Netflix uh, in kind of preparation for this podcast as well. Um, and for me, it, you know, it kind of hasn't aged really. It was, it's a, it's a film that the, um, you know, kind of the effects that are in it and the, and the jokes, they're still kind of relevant now. They're still, the effects and everything are still, just as good as, as they do in films now as well. So it's a bit timeless in that way for me. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's aged really, really well and kind of getting into the film. Um, I just forgot how amazing the, the intro to this film is, which I'll, um, which I'll go into now. On the Exorcist episode of the rewatchables, um, Sean Fennessy said that the opening to the film, uh, in Iraq was a good place setter for the film. Um, kind of gives you an idea of what the film is about, what the themes are. Um, and said that a lot of other films could do with a place setter. I think Scott Pilgrim has an absolutely brilliant place setter of an opening. Um, not so much in, well, in what the film is going to be about and, and what the character of Scott Pilgrim is like, but more just what the film's going to be about and what to expect from the film. So straight away, um, when the the Universal logo comes up, it's in 8-bit format and the 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 theme to it is is kind of got that computerized sound to it as well so it's like it's on the mega drive or the master system or something like that then it goes into the film and says um with the with the you know trailer voiceover not so long ago in canada and then it's got the sound effect of when the the camera pounds down it's got the sound effect of like um when Mar- when Mario goes into a pipe in, in Super Mario Brothers. <clears throat> and then as it goes as it goes into the film and you start to meet the members of Sex Bob Arm and, and Young Neil and Knives Chow um comes up with their name, what their age is, and what their rating is. So Scott Pilgrim is twenty-two, rating awesome. Uh Stephen Stills, twenty-two, the talent. Kim, twenty-three, drummer. Young Neil, 20, lives here. Um, it's funny. It's comic book-esque. It's taken straight from the, the Scott Pilgrim books by Brian Lee O'Malley. Also, again, if anyone is into those kind of you know comic books or um, uh, graphic novels, again, highly recommended to, to go and seek out the Scott Pilgrim books. They're, they're really, really good. Um, and you'll be able to see exactly some, you know, Literally, some of the drawings in in the comic books are lifted and put straight into this film as well. It's, it's really good. Um, and also, uh, Stephen Stills, uh, the actor Mark Webber, looks just like the um, the picture of the character Stephen Stills from the comic book as well. So yeah, it has those in it. It has the you know the sound effects. So when knives rings the doorbell, you, you get ding dong coming out of the doorbell. Um, yeah, so it's kind of got those comic book elements. It's got the computer game elements. 
it's got those fantastical elements. It's got, but it's also got, um, because obviously there's a lot of real realism within the film as well. You know, it's not, it's not animated. It's you know, it's real people, um, do, kind of doing things. So it's, it's showing where it's got that kind of grounded level as well. Because literally all they're doing is just sat around at a kitchen table, um, getting things out of the cupboard and then getting ready for band practice. Um, you know, on the face of it, nothing very exciting happening, but it's got those those little bits that Edgar Wright's bringing in um, into the film to show you, wow, God, okay, this is going to be quite different. And then it's also got, um, it's also got the, the comedy value in there as well, you know. Um, Michael Cera, you know, he's really good at that kind of fast-paced um, dialogue as well. Um, that's, so yeah, the kind of like comedy comes in there. Um and then just the just the little bit when they're just about to start playing the song and um Michael Sarah goes, Okay, this is Launchpad McQuack. Stephen still goes, that's not actual the title of the song. And then Kim, We are sex baba, one, two, three, four. And then they start playing. Um first of all, before the kind of the credits come up, the way Michael Sarah is um playing the bass but doing his dancing in time with the music is just so good as well you can't take can't take your eyes off him and then there's that great shot which Edgar Wright also uses in Last Night in Soho there's a scene in Last Night in Soho it's in the trailer as well where um Thomas and Mackenzie's in bed and she just she turns and she pulls the covers over herself and then the camera pulls back um underneath the underneath the covers but it's on Thomas and Mackenzie's face and it just pulls back and back and back and back and back like it's the longest bed in the world he uses the same shot or he uses that shot in in Scott Pilgrim as well so when they start um doing their song the camera just pulls back and back and back and back and back like it's the largest front room in the world it's all just everything's focusing on on the band <clears throat> and it cuts to obviously knives his face and she's just completely enraptured and um in love with this band that she's watching so then the actual title sequences um opening credits start and it's just a complete barrage on the senses it's so you've got the music playing really loud you've got these really cool flashing images you've got the name you've got the obviously the names of the people involved coming up um you just can't take your eyes off it it's just a real kind of wide-eyed stop what you're doing kind of moment um and then that's it the film started and i think it's just i think it's amazing i think it's it's it tells you all you need to know about what to expect from this film. Um, it grabs you completely. So it's quite a, you know, kind of sedate, quiet start. These little weird things happening. Okay, this, what's going on here? And then those opening credits, it's like, wow, God, that was, that was incredible. Um, and you're just, you're knives chow. You're, you're just, she turns and the camera turns to her and she just says, you guys are amazing. Just wide-eyed and you're just like, yeah. Edgar Wright, you are amazing. Um, so that was my take on the on the opening to it. It's just, um, yeah, just a, a great opening to a film. I want to take a minute to talk about Andy's Man Club. It's a fantastic charity that holds group meetings every Monday evening where men who are struggling with their mental health can come along in a safe and private space where they know that it's okay to talk. The group meetings 
are for men aged 18 and above, and they can speak freely about their mental health in a judgment-free, non-clinical environment. I've attended a couple of group meetings myself when I was struggling with my mental health, and I found them very valuable indeed. The venue for the Plymouth group meetings is City College on King's Road, and further information about Andy's Man Club in Plymouth specifically can be found on Facebook, Andy's Man Club Plymouth. For further information about Andy's Man Club in general, nationwide, you can email info at andysmanclub.co.uk or also visit the website andysmanclub.co.uk. If you feel you need help with your mental health, find out that it's okay to talk by visiting Andy's Man Club. Thank you. When I was watching the film uh, this time around for the podcast, I um, I remembered because I haven't read the the books in a long time. I don't know where the hell they are actually. I um, yeah, I know I lent them to a couple of people and they gave them back, and I just have no idea now where they are. It's probably they probably went missing in some kind of movie or something between houses. But yeah, I really wish I do. I still had them, um, but I just remember the some of the shots. So as in some of the positions that the actors were put in, in in the frame of a shot were just exactly like some of the um some of the pictures from the the comic book. So two that kind of really hit me when I saw them on in the film were one was when Scott is in the one of the stores with knives the second time on their second date. So the first date, they're obviously, you know, he's really he's really into it and they're having a really good time. The second time he's already met Ramona and he's just kind of being a bit of a dick and not ending it with with knives when he should um and he's yeah he's not interested at all there's a shot of him sat on a sofa with a sign next to it saying please don't sit and just the way his arm is the way he's sitting on the on the couch is it's exact kind of you know how it is in the in the frame in the in the comic book um and then the shot of when scott has gone back to ramona's house and um she kind of goes through the list of teas that she has and they're in Ramona's bedroom and then she kind of crawls onto the onto the bed and Scott is sitting up. Again, that's another one that's taken exactly from the from the comic book as well. Um so yeah, that must have been um it must be great to kind of have that as a kind of a filmmaker, you know, you've got those you've got those kind of images in the comic book which are already kind of cinematic looking and you literally just you can just kind of put those um, straight onto onto the film, um, but also as well there are some snippets from the film from the book that are put into the film. So any time that Ramona is discussing her the her seventy flexes, it's actually shots from the comic book over um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's commentary of the of the exes, um, which is just also a, a really great touch as well. It's just another one of those things that Edgar Wright adds into keep your attention draw you in something for the fans of the of the comic books as well um so yeah i just think those are really good uses of you know um kind of metatextuality that he's using there within the film there's a great um oral history of the of the film um done by rotten tomatoes and it's actually based on a an interview with with edgar wright and you can watch the interview on um 
on YouTube, but you can also read. They've got a, um, a snippet of the of the interview you can read online as well. And um, one thing that I found really interesting was when he was talking about the the cast. So obviously, you've got a cast of of actors in in the film that you know are most of them are just kind of starting out on their careers. You kind of you know some of them are known names for some of the things they've been in, but none of them are kind of major stars. Michael Cera obviously is was probably the major star of, you know, he'd been in Superbad, he'd been in um, Arrested Development, um, been in a couple of other things, so he was kind of like the known star. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead was probably quite well known from, um, I think she's done a couple of, I got tried to see one of her uh, dance films that she did, was it a Step Up film or something else? I can't remember. Um, but she was in Death Proof as well, um, so she was kind of on the rise, but, you know, this is catching a lot of young actors, um, just at the development, the start of their career. Um, so you had, you know, Aubrey Plaza before she'd really been in much. I think she'd been in Funny People. Um, one or two other things. I don't know if she'd been in Parks and Recreation yet. Um, Brie Larson. I think this was maybe her second or third acting, acting job. Um, Chris Evans. Uh, Brandon Routh, um, you know, you've got people there that maybe Brandon Routh's not as more well-known these days, but you've just got a lot of young young actors in the, in the film. Anna Kendrick, who um, who just kind of as, a, as an ensemble really um, kind of bounce off each other really well. And Edgar Wright said about the, about the cast, before filming began, they did a lot of... Um, um, they did a lot of, of training together. So obviously all, most, of the, most of the characters or most of the actors have to do kind of fight scenes and things like that. So they would all, they would all train together. <clears throat> so they do all their, there's, I think one of the, um, one of the blogs that Edgar Wright did is, you know, kind of showing him and, and the actors all kind of like warming up and doing, um, different training together. And then each of the actors would go away and do their specific things that they need to train for, like sword work or, um, stunts and, and fight work or dancing or choreography or anything like that. Um, so he said it was really, it was really good for the connection and the chemistry between all the, all the actors on the film for them to, to have that time together beforehand. <clears throat> and the way he put it was that kind of the actors were living Scott Pilgrim as well as making it. So, you know, most of the actors were a similar age to the characters they were playing. Um, a lot of the time they were filming in the exact locations or similar locations um, that were actually used in the comic book. So even though there's these fantastical comic book computer game moments within the film, it's also grounded in a way in that it's, um, you know, it's all filmed in, in Toronto where it's set. It's filmed on exact locations um, that are within the comic book and where it's supposed to be set as well. Um, so he called it this kind of... Mag he, when Edgar Wright talks about making the film and what kind of really appealed to him about it is that he compared it to Spaced. You know, it had that kind of uh, magical realism, he called it. So you've got these fantastical things, these dreamlike things, computer things... Um, but it's also grounded in a in a real world, real people, real characters as well. So yeah, I just thought that was very um I just thought that was a really interesting kind of take and um description of how the 
the characters and the <clears throat> the actors actually kind of connected with each other. When talking about casting Michael Sarah for the for the title role, um, Edgar Wright said that there was a lot of other um, actors that were being suggested to him, but he said straight off the bat when he read this when he kind of read the, the comic books and was writing the script, he said that Michael Sarah was the only person um, that he thought of for the role. Um, he did, obviously he was a big fan of his, but also just, you know, with Michael Sarah's persona, because some of the characters that he had played and, and just the way he, you know, the way he kind of looks, um, it just made it even, it just made it funnier that he was then this hero of this film who's great at fighting and could do all these different things. Um, so yeah, and I think I think it's perfect casting, to be honest with you. Um, and then he went on to say, Edgar Wright said in this Rotten Tomatoes kind of interview, that he wrote the first draft of the script in Quentin Tarantino's guest house. Come on, Edgar, bloody hell. Anyway, um, so he said when he was writing it, um, Grindhouse was coming out. And um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead also says in kind of interviews as well that... Um, so she's obviously in Death Proof. And so at the time, he she was obviously, you know, promoting the film. She was hanging around Quentin Tarantino and Quentin Tarantino's circle a lot, which within his circle was Edgar Wright because he was staying at his place. Um, and when Edgar Wright saw Mary Elizabeth Winstead in Death Proof and then was obviously hanging around her, he kind of said, look, I think you'd be perfect for playing Ramona Flowers in this in this film um so again perfect casting as well you see her in the in the film and yeah she just kind of matches exactly to what how Ramona Flowers is um portrayed in the comic books as well so I think he got the the, the actually to be honest with you, I think every actor in the film is is perfectly cast for for their roles I think they all do all do an amazing job um my favorites though and also as well um you know in this film you've got Brandon Routh, who'd previously played Superman. You've got Chris Evans, who's just about to be cast as Captain America. And you've got Brie Larson, who six, seven years later is going to be, well, probably a bit longer, eight, nine years later, is going to be cast as um, Captain Marvel as well. So you're catching all these um, all these actors just at, just at great times. Um, but yeah, my favourite my favorite characters within the film are... Um, are, are definitely um Wallace so Kieran Culkin I think is great in the film he almost almost steals every scene that he's in some of the lines he comes out with are great and just the way he plays plays that character is is brilliant um and it's also uh Lucas Lee who's Chris Evans and um Brandon Ross character Todd um I think they're both just just absolutely brilliant from um when I read the Empire magazine review of of Scott Pilgrim um I think they gave it five stars um I think the, there was a line that I remember from it in that they said Chris Evans almost steals the film as Lucas Lee but Brandon Rapp does steal the film as Todd and I and I completely agree as well those two are just just brilliant brilliant sequences within the film Going to the scene when um, <clears throat> Scott back battles uh, Lucas Lee. Um, yeah, Chris Evans just he plays that kind of 
movie star dick really well. Um, not saying that he is a movie star dick. Chris Evans himself comes across like a very nice guy. Um, but he plays that guy who's, you know, arrogant and full of himself and, um, you know, relying on his stunt doubles and has to get his hand kind of desanitized after he punches somebody. Um, he just, he plays that fantastically well. Um, just some of the lines he comes out with as well. I'd kind of forgotten about some of them. Um, when he talks about his um, his stunt double, he says, um, sometimes I let him do the wide shots when I feel like getting blazed back in my Winnie. That's a, that's a brilliant line. Um, and, um, yeah, just kind of, you know, when he throws him into the, into the castle, boom! And then um, he's walking away and he gets... He gets a text message come through. <laughs> That's actually hilarious. It's just he's just brilliant um, in that uh, in that one scene. I forgot how kind of little he was in it as well. It's just a really small, you know, couple of minute part, couple of lines, um, but he definitely makes the, the most of it. And then the battle with Todd, which I think has to be my favorite part of the film, with the you know just one of the scenes that I just I'll I'll bring up on kind of YouTube every now and then just. Just, he's so so good in this part Brandon Ralph um, kind of plays up to that kind of dumb handsome um, character which again I'm sure he's not I'm sure he's very well read um, well read chap but um, yeah he just kind of plays this part so so well when it first when he first kind of demonstrates his um his superpowers no sorry the bit where he so he punches knives and young neil comes up the great line you punch the blue out of her hair and then uh he sits down next to um next to brie larson and says what well, i'm not afraid to hit a woman and then she describes him as incorrigible he's like i don't even know the meaning of the word because <laughs> his face is making that dumb face and just that um bit of writing pops up on screen he actually doesn't um just the look on his face is is perfect, and then he he demonstrates his um his vegan powers when when Scott goes to goes to punch him, and um just the the back and forth between him and uh, between him and Michael Sarah, um, so when he says uh, we have unfinished business, I and he, Scott Brown goes. He and me. And so talk to me about grammar. And then just my my favorite back and forth in the whole in the whole film. So Scott Pilgrim goes, I dislike you, Capiche. And then Brian Ralph goes, Tell it to the cleaning lady on Monday. And Michael Sarah just does the best reaction. What? He goes, Because you'll be dust by the Monday. Michael Sarah goes, Hmm? Because you'll be pulverized in three seconds. And the cleaning lady, she cleans up dust. She dusts. And Michael Sarah's just like, okay, um, why, why Monday? Goes back to Todd and he's just like, trying to figure it out. Um, today's Friday and then she has the weekends off. So Monday, right? Yeah, it's just, oh, gets me every time. Absolutely hilarious. And, um, so yeah, as I say, he, he pretty much does kind of steal the, uh, steal the film in, in that moment. And the way he describes kind of being vegan, the way he kind of does the hand gesture around his around his face. 
yeah, and then the ve- ending with the vegan police coming in. It's milk and eggs, bitch. Um, that's just it's just my favorite part of the film. It's it's yeah, it's absolutely hilarious. Love that bit. Um, another thing that Michael's um sorry, another thing that Edgar Wright said in the in the interview with with Rotten Tomatoes is that with the fight scenes, he really wanted each fight to be to be different with the X's. So he wanted to really mix it up. He said he was really heavily inspired by Jackie Chan films in that way. In that Jackie Chan doesn't have the same fight all the time. He uses different, you know, different objects and different ways of evading, evading people. And he said that with, with this film, so with the first Evil X, um, there's the kind of the, the dance sequence in it, but it's more of a kind of straight up fight, but very, very, um, obviously kind of computer game-esque. The second one with Lucas Lee is, um, you know, it's heavily on the Scott versus all of the all of the stunt doubles. So it's like him versus multiple people. The third one with Todd is the main part of the battle is the is the base off between the two of them. Um, the fourth one with uh, is it Mae Whitman? I think her name is <clears throat> with the um, with the female ex. Is is more that it's a Ramona controlling Scott and and Ramona beating the um, beating the ex. Or no, sorry, Scott beats her, but by poking the back of her leg. But Ramona has most of the fight with her. Five and six is the Katy and Aga twins. Um, so that's more of the the band battle. So it's more of a battle between the between the bands. And then obviously the final one is with Jason Jason Schwartzman's character, um, which is kind of like you know Scott and knives. Uh, Scott has the the sword. Um, so yeah, that's they're all kind of different from each other, and um, yeah, I just thought that was that was really good too, um, the way in which they kind of you know can differentiate from each other, and um, you can enjoy them in different ways, and kind of pick out your favorite from each one. I said my favorite is definitely the um, the base off with with Todd. She dusts. Um, another thing that um, Ed Wright said about in the film is that he had a no blinking policy as much as possible. On the film, so he wanted it to have that kind of <clears throat> computer game anime feel to it. So he would he would ask he'd always kind of say to the the actors not to blink when the when the camera's on them. Um, he said the Brie Larson was the best at it. She was she was so good. And if you do watch it closely, actually, she is. Um, yeah, no, she uh, she really does kind of kind of nail it. Before the um, before the fight with Todd, and they go to see the um, the band that his ex is in, that Scott's ex is in, is the there's a scene with Aubrey Plaza, where she's um, she's at work and she's making a coffee for for Scott, and she does the the swearing montage, but it's all bleeped out and the um, kind of the the black things going across her mouth, so you can't tell what she's saying. I think I've said on previous podcasts before, I love a swearing montage, um, and that was just a a really good different spin on it, I think. Um, the songs that that the bands play in kind of quotation marks, obviously they're not really playing it, but um, Garbage Truck, Threshold, I think they're all kind of really good songs and they're songs that I played over and over again um, from the from the soundtrack CD when I, when I had it. Um, another thing 
that I picked up on kind of going towards the end of the film was there's a scene after so after Scott goes to Ramona and wants to tell her that he's in love with her and he wants to be with her um, get back together with her but now she's with uh, Jason Schwartzman's character also Jason Schwartzman you know absolutely amazing at playing dicks so he's really good in this film as well he uh, he says to her he's in le- lesbians with her and then after she <laughs> after she gets in the car with Jason Schwartzman she goes away he's obviously heartbroken and so the last thing he says is he just goes he said lesbians um, and then he goes back to his to his apartment and um, turns on the light and obviously Wallace is having having sex he turns the light back off and just Wallace in this scene is, is brilliant okay presumably you just saw some guy's junk I apologise for that and then when um, Scott's telling him that Ramona doesn't want to be with him he wants, she wants to be with Jean Gideon um Kieran Culkin just puts his hand on his shoulder and goes, it's probably just because he's better than you. He just, Kieran Culkin, like I say, he just, he plays his character so, so well. Um, When talking about the fight scenes uh, as well, Edgar Wright said that for every, every punch that's landed in the film, um, he would have lights go off on the, on the set. So literally when a when a punch lands, there'd be a big flash of light. Um and he said it was just this the, the kind of that kind of um computer game thing again. So when it hits, it's like or like um from like you know, from the old school Batman as well, but instead of saying zap or zing or zomp, um, he'd have a flash of light, uh a light bulb flashing on the on the set. <clears throat> Which I just thought was a really I, again, it was something I didn't notice kind of watching the film and then you you hear that and then you see it all the time it's just a nice little bit to add in there as well and um yeah and just kind of when he when Edgar Wright then just talks about looking back on when the film came out and and obviously it was a um you know it didn't do well at the box office and uh you know it didn't make its money back at the box office i'm sure it has now kind of with years gone by it's very popular on dvd and has a real huge cult following like i say but um at the time you know um the film came out in in america and then it came out in the uk one week later and Edgar Wright tells his story where when he's at the um when he's in the uk for the for the premiere and i think nearly all of the of the cast are there for it as well he said they had this kind of pre, pre-premiere party, and he was upstairs uh, in his kind of room, and he was thinking about the speech he was going to say to to the cast, to kind of keep their morale up because of you know um, the bit of negativity that had been on the film when it was released, and and kind of how it hadn't done that great at the box office. But he said he came down into the bar where all the cast are, and he said they're all just there drinking, having fun, telling jokes. Their spirit was really high. Um, everyone was there, everyone turned up, everyone, no one really seemed to care about, um, kind of what was going on in, in the States, in the box office and everything. And Edgar Wright just said, do you know what, I just threw my speech away, I didn't, I didn't have to say anything. Um, these guys were really proud of what we'd made and, um, and weren't worried about, um, the kind of reaction they just, they knew it was, 
they knew it was something that was good and, and something that would live on and, and obviously it has as well um and he just said that kind of he's really um he said kind of at that time it was you know usually creators and stars of films that or in these films that kind of bomb, for want of a better word, at the box office, they usually run for the hills. But, you know, everyone in this, everyone who's in this film just really, really embraces it. And kind of years later, you know, years afterwards, you know, you'd see so many of the actors turn up at screenings like one, two, three years later, um, do Q&As for it, go to um, go to festivals where it's being shown. Um, Edgar Wright a couple of years ago did a, um, did a screening where he was on, Twitter at the same time so he was taking screenshots and telling people how kind of like certain scenes were made and and um certain people behind the scenes that kind of added to it as well so yeah it's a film that I think that Edgar Wright certainly and and from what it looks like most of the um the actors who were in it are still really proud of and I'm glad that they made <clears throat> and I am as well because like I say just at the time it was very important to me I absolutely loved it when I saw it in the in the cinema twice and um you know I still love it to this day as well. So that was Scott Pilgrim vs the World. Um I hope you all enjoyed it. Um like I say this is a film that's that's a real big cult film. Um and maybe hasn't been seen by as many people as as maybe it deserves to have been. So if anyone hasn't seen it at all would be interested in seeing it. The film's on um, the film's on Netflix. Obviously, you can get it on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, the soundtrack is great. Um, you can also get that on Amazon or anywhere like that. The books are really good. If um, if anyone's interested in in kind of like comic books and graphic novels as well, it's a great series of um, great series of books. There are various clips from the film on on YouTube. The bloopers are on YouTube. The um, um, the auditions. For, for most of the characters I think are on YouTube as well um, any way in which you can watch anything about this film or, or learn more about it um, look at the um, the Rotten Tomatoes uh, interview with, with Edgar Wright it's it's well worth your, well worth your time and, and hopefully even if you did see it back at the time maybe didn't enjoy it it's definitely worth a, a rewatch to, to kind of reassess it as well um, so yeah so that's that's the film um, I did say at the end of my Psycho podcast that I'll be doing Scott Pilgrim vs. the World next and then Sicario. I'm not too sure if Sicario will be the next film that I do. I might, as I say, kind of with changing how the, the format of the of the podcast, I might not do exclusively whole films. I might do kind of scenes or like memorable scenes or um, kind of top tens or things like that. I might just kind of change up the, the format of it a little bit. But um, I'm going to start doing them more regularly again, um, so there won't be so much time in between podcasts this time. And again, I just want to say thank you so much to anyone who who's listened um, and kind of bear um, kind of bared with me as well while I've been uh, while I've been off. So thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed it. And keep on trucking. Thank you. <laughs>